This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 112 with Liz Need. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 112. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. A speaker, coach, and television host, Liz Need is an expert in bringing life back to everyday life. Her passion, Need Inspiration, is impacting the lives of thousands with life coaching, magazine articles, public speaking, and life improvement television. Liz directs and hosts an Emmy-nominated television show called Life Dare, which aired on Fox five days a week. Life Dare is an unscripted show inviting people to learn from experts and take a challenge to bring the lesson to life. Liz has authored several best-selling books, including The 100-Day Journey, Curry Up, an ethnic cookbook, The 180 Life, and 20 Beautiful Women. Her work has been featured on BuzzFeed and reviewed by The Huffington Post. She currently blogs for The Huffington Post, and she knows. She is a skilled storyteller and teacher and a seasoned athlete, having recently climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and competed in the Iowa Strongman Games. So it's pretty clear Liz Need is a force. Liz and I were introduced a few years ago because I was looking for some help with speaking and Liz was mentioned as a, someone who coaches speakers and I got to work with her for a while and she was just fabulous and we connected quickly and easily. And so she's someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. So I was very excited to get her to come on and share her story. So the reason I wanted her to come on in addition to talking about all the amazing things that she does in terms of impacting women and impacting business people and entrepreneurs, I also wanted to talk to her about her journey into motherhood because she had a little bit of a unique journey, which I think we all have unique journeys into motherhood. I'm learning this now that we are all very special because we all enter motherhood with our stuff. But Liz became a mother unexpectedly and a mother to twins unexpectedly. So 
kind of a roaring entry into motherhood, I would say. So I was excited to hear Liz talk about that and share a bit of her story. She is now the mother to seven in her blended family. So I'm excited to hear what that journey has looked like for her, what that's been like. Today, Liz is going to touch on a number of different parts of her life, her experience, her past, her present. She's going to be talking about her entry into motherhood, as I already mentioned. She's also going to talk about how to live life in the moment and be alive and not be fake. We're going to be talking about telling the truth and telling lies, which sometimes being a liar is easier than telling the truth. We're going to talk about why living a less full life is better. Liz will be sharing the power of pushing physical boundaries and the connection between athleticism and motherhood. She also will talk about the reciprocal role of parents teaching kids and kids teaching parents. She's going to talk about that one time she took her clothes off on stage. And then we're going to talk a little bit about diversity. Liz's parents immigrated from India many years ago now, but we're going to talk about being raised in America as an Indian woman, what that has been like for her and what she's experienced and what she thinks of the present climate around racism and just what that has looked like. And she's going to share some really interesting ideas around that. So you're in for a treat. Liz shares so many things today. You're going to probably want to listen more than once because there's a lot of little nuggets buried in this episode. So let's go ahead and dive in with Liz Need. Liz Need, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. And I already mentioned this, but I feel like there's so many things we need to talk about. So we'll see what we get through today. But I thought I knew all the things I wanted to ask you. And then I started reading through your bio and I was like, oh my gosh, there's at least like 14 more things I want to talk to her about now. That's great. I feel the same about you. So I might be interviewing you back. Oh, I would love that. I hope you don't mind. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah, we can definitely have some good conversation back and forth. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life, a little bit beyond your bio. Okay. So, you know, I started this business a decade ago. And it's so interesting to think like very few people use, even knew of Skype, only college students used Facebook, like it was a really different time. And as I took this journey in what I call need inspiration or lizneed.com, my personal and professional life, the biggest change is that they came together. So I didn't go to work anymore and then come back and have this respite or this separate space. Everything just was all one. And I started living out my lessons. And that's been really the core of what I'm doing every day. Ooh, I love that. How are you doing? I know you have a most recent project. Tell us how yeah. you're doing that right now. So I put together what I'm calling a life guide. It's a book on Amazon called The 100 Day Journey. And what happened was, and when I first started my business, it was the recession. I had just lost my house in foreclosure. Financially, we were really stressed and my husband and I were really struggling. And that was my moment to say, let's start a new business. Doesn't that make so much sense? (laughs) And I'm going to sell inspiration. It just seems so disingenuous (laughs) and illogical. But there was something I had always wanted to speak. I'd always been a person who was attracted to advice giving. And so when I started it, one of the things that precipitated it is I had read a book about vision boards. So I created one. And I put on there everything because I had nothing to lose at that moment in my life. And sometimes those are the best moments for a comeback or a turnaround. And so I put things on my vision board that I'd either tried and failed or something I'd always wanted but had no experience with or I felt like I was aging out of it. 
So, you know, just, I wanted a television show. I wanted a radio show. I wanted to be a published author. I wanted to speak for a fee and I needed to replace a six figure income. So it was a kind of a tall order. And I also put, I wanted to lose six pounds because I had this like stubborn six pounds that wouldn't go away. And I wanted a new wedding ring. I needed a second <laughs> car. We were down to a single car and no kidding, Sarah, everything on my vision board happened in 119 days. <gasps> wow. Yeah, it was very crazy. Since then, it hasn't been as accelerated, but I think I'm just more fluid with the process. But right. at that point, I was at a complete standstill, possibly moving backwards in my life. And so for it to happen so quickly, I seriously had a radio show five days a week. I shot a television pilot. I actually lost six pounds, which is strange. And the second car, even the second car thing, one of my friends lost her license. And I said, I'll help you drive. And two months into this 119 days, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have a second car because I was using her car since she couldn't drive it. Oh my gosh. So this 100-day journey, this book, I basically, you know, I'd been coaching people over the years and I thought, let me boil this down into 14 weeks and you just do something small every week. It's not revolutionary to live a purpose-driven life. It really is a quiet process that creates amazing change. So that's what that's about. I'm super proud of it. I sold over 500 copies. You know, for someone who's self-publishing, that's to be able to get the word out there organically. Yeah. And people are changing their lives. Like things are actually happening for people. So that's really gratifying. So cool. Well, and I love what you said about doing one small thing each week, because I think when you look at, you know, I've used the analogy of running a marathon. And when you look at like the end game, when you just look at those, all the big things you had on your vision board, and you think like, oh, in 100 days, I'm going to have all these things like that's just so big and overwhelming, you can't really conceptualize how you get from point A to point B. But when you look at one thing a week, and you're like, I'm just doing this one thing this week, that's all I'm going to do. And then you really do the progress that you make over 14 weeks is mind blowing when you break it down into I just have to do this one thing right now. You don't look at what do I have to do 14 weeks from now. Yeah, I really believe that. And most of the work is not physical, it's mental. Because Mm -hmm. the thing that's holding us back is completely mental. Whatever you think is your upper limit for your life is really the lowest limit. Totally. Because that's all that you can imagine. And, you know, it's kind of like when you first start working and you know, I made $25,000 a year. I thought that was so much money (laughs) until I started paying bills. And then I'm like, if I could make $10,000 more, that would change my life. And then it's just whatever you're training your brain to believe. And to really, I feel like divinely, to bring your thoughts and your feelings and your dreams together with your physical reality is where the magic happens. That's where all the energy is. So that's really the process. So let's talk about a little bit about how you've combined those things. And let's go back into your journey into motherhood, because I know that you were a young mother and you didn't plan to become a mother when it happened. So tell us a little bit about that and how you can kind of then start to meld um, how that feeds into your current life as well. Sure. So being a mom is really important to me and it's become such a driving force for me and not in the sense that I feel like every little thing is my fault or my responsibility, but it's just so shaped me in a good way. So in my opinion, I wasn't that young. I was 25 years old, 25 when I had twins. So I was 24. So old enough to be- I I thought you were younger. I think emotionally I was. I think it's pretty typical of people my age that we 
mature later. So I was really like arrested development, 17, 18 years old. I had not held a job yet. I was just finishing up college. You know, I had just had dorm rooms and shared apartments and I was just releasing my official collegiate athletic career when I got pregnant and I was dating someone casually, like we were just dating each other, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of like not going to (laughs) happen. This is so terrible. My mom was like, why would that be happening then if this was scheduled? Like just so not understanding how you could get to that point, which, you know, my poor mom. And so I found out I was pregnant totally through denial. And I knew I didn't want to marry him. I tell my parents, it was so funny. I actually called my sister who's six years younger than me. And she was going to school at Wheaton at the time in Chicago. And I was going to school at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. And I call my little sister and I'm like, I can't tell my dad. Would you please call? Yeah, and so she's like you're kidding me (laughs) so she does it for me oh my gosh because that's the kind of girl she is and then five minutes later my dad calls and he was at the time had just gotten into estate planning like he was administrator at a college and he was in estate planning and also on the weekends he was a preacher like he has a degree from the oxford seminary so me getting pregnant i think nowadays is not that big of a deal but this was 22 years ago so it was a little different back then, yeah. a little more scandalous. And so, you know, he was really upset with me and they wanted a shotgun wedding and he didn't want to marry me. And it was just such a mess. And then when I had my first doctor's appointment, I found out I was having twins. And so it was like, okay, here we go. This is clearly a message from a divine message that something needs to change in my life. And I was a mom. That was it. Wow. What was that first year like? Well, I guess, were you on your own or was the father still involved, the boy's father? We married. We got married because I wanted to make her happy. So I was like, I'm going to marry this guy. I'm going to figure out a way to convince him. And, you know, I did everything that a woman shouldn't do in that kind of situation. Like define myself by my current circumstances, live for other people, you know, just that whole thing. And so We actually thought about giving the kids up for adoption. I met people. It was really a traumatic, stressful thing. But here's the interesting thing is that I truly credit, like that was the beginning of the transformation I experienced today. Like that was the beginning of the journey. Prior to that, I really didn't have anything to live for but me. And I wasn't very good at living for myself. I needed responsibility and accountability. And I wouldn't suggest that people get pregnant for that, (laughs) but that was sort of like the catalyst. And fast forward, I want to tell you about the first year, but fast forward, they are some of the kindest, gentlest people. Like, I think that God just gave them a little extra something because they're very charming. They're very loving, both very talented. And so everyone who gets to be in their life says to me, they're just the nicest people. And so I look at that whole, like, so that's like a big arc, obviously, that I didn't know was going to happen. And I think actually, I'm not alone in having a feeling of confusion when you first have a baby, like, how is this going to work? And how is this little person, you know, I'm responsible for making them like a normal person, (laughs) productive person. And I failed so often, like, I was just so bad at being a mom in the beginning. Just so many things. I took everything so personally that it was almost impossible for them 
to have like a successful day with me, but <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But you know, it's just been, I mean, I cannot imagine they've shaped my daughter's lives, mm-hmm. my stepkids, my husband is extremely impacted by them. So I just think about the beginning. I could have not had them in my life and I cannot imagine not Isn't having that them. interesting to think of all the things that could have been, especially because you had those conversations and ideas around adoption and those kinds of things like your life. Could yeah. have, it wasn't just like a fleeting thought that your life could have taken a different course. Like you were at least a little bit on a path for your life to take a totally different course. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. There were no plans for pregnancy at that <laughs> moment. I just never would have thought to put a child through that. <laughs> I just, think, I just right. wasn't, you know, because financially I wasn't prepared there were just so many places to grow up. And I think that it's really like important, in my opinion, that story is really relevant for anyone who's a mother, because it isn't just that they are changing you. Yeah. Like it isn't just you and them. Like it's not one directional. And every time they do something in the process of learning, they're really like the ultimate mirror for who you are as a person. And it doesn't that you have to be perfect. It's just you have to know that this kid is going to be a person. Like someday they're going to call you and ask you for advice or not call you. Like you kind of need to cultivate the relationship from day one and think whatever I do. My dad was a great parent and he's never lost his temper with me, which is like a really big deal. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom was more emotional, more just a normal person. And she said there was one point where he said, you know, she's going to grow up to be older and we need to remember that. We need to remember that this is a person in process. Mm-hmm. And that I think that, you know, my kids have, they impacted me. They just gave me a lot of grace and they still love me. And, you know, it wasn't like I didn't have to be perfect. A lot of the things that I remember, they don't remember. They just remember a lot of good stuff. So awesome. yeah, it was good. I think that the connection to our stories as moms is so significant because I think as you referenced that we do look at it as like, Oh my gosh, I have to shape this person. And how do I do that? Right. And I can never do it perfectly. And that feels extremely overwhelming. But I think that being able to connect to at the same time, becoming a mom, regardless of the circumstances. And for you know, some people, it's planned, some people, it's not some people, it's singles, some people, it's twins, <laughs> whatever that looks like that is shaping your story as much as it's shaping this child's life and to connect to both of those things. And it took me a few years to start being able to do that. I was so obsessed with, like, how to be a better mom, because I felt like I was really struggling with it for like the first three years. And, right. uh, and now I can look back and I think that hindsight is, you know, always very helpful, but I can look back and see like, oh, it wasn't just about me raising him. It was about us growing up together. Yeah. <laughs> it's that is so hard to see that. It is so hard. And I think that, you know, I think about, I have two girls, one just turned 15 and then the other one will be 13 in May. And I am excited, not too soon, but I'm excited to participate with my girls and their motherhood because I want them to know, like, you will never get this right. Like, let me just be there for the day that you're crying and you can't believe that you were given a child to raise. And how about you don't like your child and you're afraid for yourself because you're thinking, this is not fun. Is this person for real mind forever? (laughs) I cannot, you know, that that's normal to feel that way and to help them enjoy the journey because it took me a little while. I'm much a very different parent with my girls than I was with the boys because now I just enjoy every minute of it. Like I just think they're going to be gone soon. I would rather be there with them and laugh with them and just be part of their 
experience in a way that only a mom can than to be worried so much about all the to-do lists and whatever. But I have to tell you one story for the first year. It didn't happen in the first year, but, and it's about poop because (laughs) you cannot really, if you have a conversation with a mom about young kids and you don't talk about poop, then you're a liar and you're (laughs) totally like, it's just not right. So there's two stories. So one is I was in my, I don't know, they probably were two years old at the time and I always bathed them together because it was just more efficient. And I was getting ready to go out. And I remember, like the tub was full, I turned my head, and then I turned back and one of them just <laughs> poop, it went from like clear to brown in two seconds. <laughs> they were just covered in poop. And what do you do? Like the thing that you need to wash them off has poop, right? And if you take it and put them out. And there's two of them, you know, they're not going to sit still. And they're freaked out. Like what just happened in the tub here? Like, I can't <laughs> believe it. It was so traumatic. And I remember how odd it was that I felt I took it personally. Like, I remember thinking, how could you do this to me? Right. And what is wrong with you? Like, why would you? And then the second one, as if that wasn't bad enough, and I know you can just picture it like this, like, oh, gross, is they were taking a nap. I I had a nanny at the time and I was at work and she's 19. She calls me and she is completely panicked, like out of breath, crying, whatever. Oh, no. And I was like, what happened? And she just kept saying poop. So what had (laughs) happened was one of them had, you know, had it still in diapers, had pooped his pants and took it off. And the door was closed because it was a nap. And then started like handprints (laughs) and playing with it. And then suddenly the brother woke up when he was rubbing it on him. Like I walked in and there was handprints of poop just drawing and everything had poop on it. And this 19 year old girl who had never had a baby was really not set up for that. And this is my thought. This is the thought I had. I was like, is this a thing like a serial killer thing? (laughs) Like they kill cats and they play with their poop. And they set fires. Those are like the three. (laughs) Right. Like, I think there is a poop thing with the serial killers. And this young man is now... I mean, really, like, I can't believe that he was the one because he's kind of an angel. But again, it felt like I was doing something wrong. Like that is the thing that motherhood is, is that they do weird stuff and you feel like it's you. That's like, that is what motherhood is in like a total of a few stories and a couple yeah, sentences. Totally. We were recently on vacation with four other families aside from us. And there was eight children ages four and under. And all the families have two kids except for our family. And then there was one other couple that just has one little boy. And the other mom said to me at one point, other mom with one little boy says, this is so refreshing to see that like all kids have their things, like their issues or whatever. Because when you just have one kid, sometimes you really do think you're like, something's obviously just wrong with my child. Because like, why would another human inflict so much like frustration in my life? And like you said, like you internalize these things, you take it all personally. And when you just have one child, you just assume that like, your one child is just kind of a disaster. And then you see people with multiple children, and you see all these children of the same age all together. And you're like, Oh, no, like all children are just a disaster. And if no one's trying to punish you as a, you know, (laughs) no one's trying to punish mommy, they're just all a mess. (laughs) Right. And that is just normal. Right.
Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yet, while you're listening to me talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Like, that's why it was so good for my girls, because, I mean, they still surprised me early on. I hadn't quite gotten to that point where who I was, who I am today. But, you know, you just start to realize, like, humans are weird. So there's just all kinds of craziness that happens between when they start and whenever you decide to be an adult, which (laughs) happens later for some than others. But Yeah, that moment when you stop internalizing your children's behavior, Yeah, it's a tough one. And I think it's something that happens slowly over time. And maybe sometimes I've been watching this kind of in different parent friends of ours. And I think maybe sometimes it is like having the second child, because there's just that much more chaos that you realize, like, I'm not in control of anything. And that's okay. But yeah, so tell us a little bit about so you had the boys, they're now are they 20? 21. They just turned 21 in December. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. So the boys, and now you have these two daughters who I love seeing your kids on Facebook, by the way, and everything that you're saying about the boys, I'm like, of course, that's exactly how I would expect you to describe them because this is exactly how they come across when you post about them on Facebook. Just (laughs) the most awesome young men and just so sweet. And similarly, your daughters, oh my gosh. I mean, the things you post about that, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I want to just come live with your family for a while. (laughs) You know what? I think you'd love it. And I think that it would be so fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you would give me hope for my (laughs) (laughs) four-year-old. There is hope for your four-year-old. Tell us a little bit about your second phase of motherhood. So you had married the boy's dad, then you got divorced. And then tell us like that phasing out of that relationship and into your current life, which is now a family of seven children, correct? Yeah. So my first marriage didn't last very long. And I don't know that we couldn't have developed love for each other. But I'm not going to talk about him. I'll take my own responsibility for the fact that I just wasn't ready for the fight that marriage is. And so I kind of jumped from one to another. So I'm just thinking about if it was my daughter that said, I can't handle this person that I have two kids with. So let me marry someone who has three other kids and together we'll (laughs) have five. And that's going to be so much easier. Oh, and he's recently divorced too. So I know that it didn't make sense. And we love each other. We'll have been married for 17 years in April. And I mean, we have a very passionate people. And so there are times when I'm like, Oh, my goodness, like we should not be together. But (laughs) where it's fine. And then we had 
two boys and a girl and I had two boys. So that was five. And then we had two kids together. I have only had one planned pregnancy. That's it. Out of the four kids that I've had, one was like, (laughs) we're going to have a baby. And then the seventh child, I mean, she's like, I was an accident. I'm like, no, you weren't an accident. But like, I didn't know you were coming. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm a person who thinks that I am not in control and that there really is a divine order and that faith was meant to be my child and be in this world. And she is a life partner for her older sister because if Kendall had been on her own, all the other kids would go away or go somewhere at some point. So, you know, it gave her another connection that doesn't go away. And so it was our perfect family, which is crazy. So there's lots of great stories in between then and now. And I think that the interesting thing about it, if I tell you any stories, I seem to learn with mistakes. Like that's how I learn, which is so sad for me (laughs) that (laughs) that's the way. And I'm a little bit different now, but at the time it was like, I had to try it. And then I go, Oh, that doesn't work. Now I'm fully committed to this better way of living. (laughs) Got it. Yeah, exactly. Can you give us an example? So like financially, that was like a thing. Like I would just spend money that I didn't have. And then I'd be like, okay, that doesn't work. Okay, let (laughs) let me keep going. Until I finally got to a point. And actually being an entrepreneur was when it changed because I finally was connected to the money that was coming in. You know, I used to be a very untruthful person. I always felt like I got in lies because I didn't want to hurt people. Oh, I've heard you talk about this before. Share a little more about this because I struggle with this and go a little deeper with this and explain what you mean. I promise you I can make anybody feel sane. Like you can thank me later because no matter how bad you feel, uh, my story will make, you'll go, oh, okay, well, at least I'm not that, right? So like, okay, so here's an example. So there would be a moment where I had money and then I didn't pay the bill right away. And so then I'm like, well, I'll charge it and make sure that we stay on top of it. And this is when my husband and I were first to, I don't even know that we were married just yet. And my second husband. And so the bill got a little big and it was his credit card. So I'm not telling him, I'm thinking I'll just quick pay it off. And he doesn't ever need to know. I don't know why he wasn't missing his credit card bill. Then I take over the bills so that he doesn't see it. And he's thinking, oh, this is really good. She's like learning how to pay her bills properly. (laughs) And meanwhile, this thing is going up and up and up. So then I had to make sure he never opened a bill. So in the middle of my workday, I worked 15 minutes away from my house, like a hard drive from downtown Des Moines to the suburbs. And I would leave, I would take my lunch break and I would go home to get the bill so that he wouldn't see it. And sometimes the mailman wasn't there. And then I'd have to go and then I'd have to invent a reason for him to go somewhere else after. Can you pick up like five things for dinner because I need you to do this so that I could get home in time to get it? Yeah. And, you know, eventually, like I was pretty good at it. It took six months for him to finally get it. (laughs) It was like, but I was grown when that was happening. Like I just really struggled to say I failed and then I would create a bigger failure to not tell someone about And it was so painful. And so to be the person I am right now, you know, a lot of times people don't understand, like just that little snippet, that was stressful. That was a stressful thing. Meanwhile, I'm trying to be somebody for my kids. And it's so much better to be in a place where you just forgive yourself and you allow people to be mad at you. And you just don't worry. I mean, if you did it, then part of you must have wanted to do it. So just live with it and let people be upset with you in real time. That's like my big thing for my children. Just mad in real time is so much better than delayed mad. Totally. 
Yeah. And I think another piece of that, which is not in the same scope of the story you just shared, but another piece of that is that we tell little lies or we hide truth. And maybe yeah. hiding truth is maybe a little bit better wording, but we hide truth often when we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And so even something as simple as like someone saying, hey, do you want to meet me for dinner tonight? And you don't want to make them feel bad. So you like yes. invent like, well, I have these 13 other things to do. When in reality, you're like, I just want to have dinner with my family. And yep. you could just say, I just want to have dinner with my family, but you don't want to make the other person feel bad or like you're not prioritizing that relationship. So you make up all these things. And that's something that I've really struggled with is like, instead of just being really honest about like, actually, there's something else I want to prioritize right now and really owning that. I like work my way around an excuse, and, mm -hmm. which is not yeah. telling the truth. It's not like an out and out lie, but it's not telling the truth. Um, and every untruth costs you. Like I believe mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what it is, that if you can't own yourself, and I say real time and being in the moment and mindful, because as soon as you do that, you're living two lives. Right. Like you cannot experience the moment fully because there's a part of your brain that just split. And the more splits you have, the more unhappy you are. Totally. And so some of us can handle it and it's sad that you can, but some of us can handle more of that than others. And so they're living with like multiple lies where people think they're different than they really are. And it's like, you know, some of it isn't even just that you don't want to tell someone you don't want to have dinner tonight. You really never want to have dinner with them. <laughs> right. And you have to actually figure out how to manage that. Right. Because what right. you do, maybe a, your younger version was okay with who that person was. And now you're older and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't have any time. Common when a person becomes a mom. Because yes. they're like, I have two seconds. I don't want to spend it with you. Like, right. how do I tell you? And so, you know, managing that. But I would say that if I could give any woman, particularly a mother, one piece of advice, it's don't allow anything to pull you away from this moment. Like, no matter how sucky it is, or how much you don't like what you feel like or what you look like in the mirror, the moment is where everything magical happens. And as a person who lived way out of the moment and now lives completely in the moment, it's amazing. I'm joyful when everything is going wrong because I know what it feels like to be alive and not be fake. And I would never go back to the other way ever again. I have less friends. I spend a lot more time with my family. I don't let a lot of things get in the way of me and fitness or me and my work or whatever. Like I'm a little bit, my life is not as full as it was in a way because I used to have a lot more like trips with friends and wine nights out and, you know, lots of shopping trips and, you know, it just seemed fuller, but I was also much more unhappy because mm -hmm. I was managing untruths in my life. And now I feel like, yeah, I got a basketball game to go to. That's what I'm going to do. Right. And after a while, you're going to know that you don't want to hang out with me and you're going to find a new friend anyway. Right. So I'm just going to not worry about it. When I think living full, and I've talked about on the podcast before, like over scheduling and over committing and those kinds of things, like living full can often be a way of preventing you and maybe even a security blanket to prevent you from living deep. And I think that like what you're saying is when you pick your few things and you kind of crowd out the other noise, then you can go deep in those things. And so like you can actually truly be there at the basketball game because you are not trying to figure out how you're going to do the basketball game and happy hour and like right. return three emails during halftime or whatever. Exactly. So you're just doing the one thing and you're like all in. Yeah, it feels so good. And the things in your life, you really notice like everything, the roots are deeper. You know, you just have less dissonance because it's also about deeper is all about consistency. So like if I'm wasted with my friends, which is very fun. 
and then I have to get up in the morning and run. It, there's dissonance. Like, it's uncomfortable. I also say things I would normally not say when I'm drunk. So I came to realize that's not who I am as a person. Like, it has nothing to do with drinking. I like a glass of wine just as much as anyone else. But, like, I really do want to be this other person who you can rely on to never gossip, who will take care of herself. So I'm fully, like, I can have a conversation with you. I didn't right. go drink my half a bottle of wine. So I'm clear right now to serve you or, you know, and also like my children, they like me a lot better without wine. <laughs> it's kind of, it's like, you're just so weird. hangover mommies is not, I guess not. even overly talky fun mommy. Yeah. Like when I'm in the third glass of wine, that's actually not their favorite. And they've yeah. said, you're funny, but it's not you. And they would rather have me, which is, I've always thought I'm so entertaining. And <laughs> that wine Liz is so entertaining that it would be worth it. But I actually think that it's not as good. And I came to rely on that for a long time. I think I'm sure there are statistics about young mothers and drinking. Oh, yeah. Because it's so stressful. Yes. In the yeah. beginning. And it's not really that fun. Like having to be that on for a young kid so that they don't kill themselves, basically, right. drives you to drink. It does. So yeah. Yeah. You remind me of a girlfriend of mine, an old coworker. We were out having drinks one night after work. This was probably 15 years ago. And we were talking about how when you go to the bathroom after you've had a few drinks and you're out at a bar or a restaurant or whatever, you go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I look so good today. <laughs> and so she was telling me the story about how she'd been out one night She'd had multiple drinks and she was checking herself out after she went to the bathroom. Like, wow, I just look amazing. Like, why are these guys not all over me? And then she went and she sat down with her friends and they were having fun or whatever. And they go to leave and she has this long string of toilet paper coming out from under her skirt. Oh, and it's great. like the perfect metaphor for like, yes. you think you're awesome, but really you're not. You're no, kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like a really eye opening thing for me that someone would actually like me just as me, like my intensity and my drivenness that I don't have to be that funny. I don't have to be that loose. I can just be me, you know, over and over the universe is telling me you don't have to be anything other than you are. It happens like in multiple ways. And my kids are certainly part of the message. So I love that. Let's yeah. Talk about pushing physical boundaries. So since okay. I've met you and we met probably Four it was, years ago? Yeah, it was right after 2014, actually. And it was end of July or beginning of August, I believe it was. You're because good. I just gone on the, well, the, you know why I remember is because I summited Mount Kilimanjaro on the 4th of July, 2014. Okay. You were just about to do Kilimanjaro when we met. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I want to get to. So you are amazing at pushing physical boundaries. And I would love to talk about that for a minute. And it's something that you embrace, you really push yourself to do, you put it out there very publicly when you're like, I'm going to do this, this is my goal, here's how I'm doing it when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about these experiences of pushing yourself physically and why this is really important and meaningful to you. Well, I truly believe that. And I really specifically want to talk to moms about this. Like this is a place of passion and almost like a burden for me about athleticism and motherhood. So I was always a sporty kid and my parents are from India. And I mean, I don't know if that's the case now, but I will say that my parents' generation, they didn't value athleticism. That just wasn't part of their thing. They valued studying. I mean, they came to this country so they could succeed. You're not going to be an Olympian. Why are we even bothering with this? The whole activity concept didn't make sense to them. So 
even though I was born like physically, I'm a strong person. I've got broad shoulders and like kind of guy like in many ways, extra testosterone. Like I'm just that person. So competitive. I got to be in some things and I was a standout in track and cross country and I could make my way around a basketball court, I'll say, and then went on to do division three track and cross country. But I was always a little bit like, I didn't really understand how it all fit in. So my life kind of opposed it. So fast forward, I still have the desire to push myself physically. Like I like what I feel like when I do that. And so I always wanted to like take an adventure. And when I did that climb, it was the summer after my boys graduated from high school. So I was in this weird place where how do I steal 10 days? Like 10 days is forever in mother time. Yes. Like that's like two months. <laughs> totally. It feels like, because I had up until that point not been away from my kids for longer than like, I don't know, maybe three or four days. I just never was. If we took a vacation, I guess maybe five days if like we went to Mexico, but that was not like a norm for us. Right. So for some reason, and I think sometimes your soul tells you to do something before the rest of you understands why. And for some reason, I just pursued it and went to Kilimanjaro. You know, I had the travel time and then it was seven days total, five days up, two days down. And I found that was a profoundly transformational experience for me as an American, actually, because I realized what it means to be in the moment and what a respite it is to be in the moment because Americans they escape the moment that like right. everything about being an American is escaping the moment. So that was sort of like a side thing. But the motherhood part of it is that I started to realize that women desperately need space for fitness and not because they want to alter their bodies, but yes. because they need to understand their body. And you can't understand your body if it's all about changing it. Like it really just needs to be, I can lift this it's all about answering a question. Like, am I strong enough to do this? And then if the answer is yes, then what about the next thing? Can I do that? Can I push myself a little further? I think it pulls you into your body and your mind and your body align in a different way than it does in any other. Because women are always thinking about something else when they're doing something. That's just part of our DNA as women. But the cool thing that happened is when I came back, kind of a side effect to all of this is that my girls were so excited to see me. I'll have to send you a picture. Maybe that can be included in your promotional yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. The picture of the two of them like wrapped around me like monkeys. I think they were like eight and 10 or nine and 11 or young, you know, younger than they are now. And they pitched a tent in the backyard oh. when I like I've crashed from jet lag and I wake up and they're sleeping in a tent in the backyard because that is how it works, right? Like, your children just want to be like you. And right. so I realized at that moment, there was a shift. I was always a person who worked out before that. But at that moment, there was a shift because I realized I was teaching them how to be 40 by what I did. And I was teaching them what to put my life on hold, to put my self care on hold every time someone needs me, or that I could go climb a mountain. And I think that that probably will be one of the things that impacts the way they see themselves for the rest of their lives. Because they're like, oh, when you're 40, your husband like really thinks you're hot because you went to Africa and climbed a mountain. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And you're talking about it and you have these clothes from when you went up there and these cool pictures and you talk about how it changed you, but you still got to see the track meet and the basketball game and all the other stuff that there's a world in which both can happen. 
I love that. And I think that connection that you mentioned between athleticism and motherhood is just so important. And it's not at all about high performance necessarily, or about what you can do compared to someone else. It's just being strong in your own body so that you can feel capable in everything that you do. And that it doesn't matter if you're using like five pound dumbbells or 50 pound dumbbells. It's just that you're connected to your strength in some way. I think that's so critical. And I don't really believe there are weak people. I mean, I think there are unused muscles. I certainly understand that. I understand that the beginning of the mountain might feel really uncomfortable because you don't feel like your body is yours. It feels like a little bit. And that our culture has encouraged us to be like a sculptor instead of living in your body and loving your body. And so it's interesting because now like, My girls and I, and this sort of gets back to something that I don't know that we actually talked about it, but just my girls in particular, is that we just live together. Like I've talked about this before. My name is mom and your name is daughter, but we're just people. And these are just labels and that we're actually just human beings that live together. And I have to work out and I have to eat and sleep just like you. And we all have to be learning. And so yeah, one of my roles is to teach you how to be a woman, but you're also teaching me how to be a woman. And so your perspective is valuable to me. And when my kids say, like, you really do look good, mom. And there was one point I was in the car and I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over, but I want to get to this point. So I was in the car and my daughter's friend was with me. They're 15 years old. And I said something about plastic surgery And I have a really like my stomach, which is the high value body part right now in 2017, like that's what everyone wants, is really wrinkly and has lots of stretch marks because I had twins at a time when I had a really tight stomach. So Mm -hmm. it stretched it out. And she's like, well, you could get something done with that. And my daughter jumps in and said, why would she do that? She looks great. Like she really gets that this is a human being and she needs to know that she is okay, that you don't have to do anything. So I feel like that's the byproduct for the moms that are overly focused on what you look like. It's like, you know, I feel like I look great. That is a byproduct of going from a five pound dumbbell to a 50 pound kettlebell. Like it was a process. Nobody comes out of the womb doing kettlebell swings, like nobody. So you have to learn it at some point. And there's always going to be fat on your body. It's not actually bad. Remind me, I'm almost certain it was you that in the middle of one of your talks on stage, you took off your shirt. Okay, so this like just this memory just came to me. Okay, so now you have to tell us about that. (laughs) Well, it was in New York City at the 92nd Street Y in, I think, Brooklyn. And it was sort of, it's called the 140 Conference. And every, they pick a focus and then people sign up to be speakers or asked to be speakers. And it's all these different perspectives. So it's kind of like a real life Twitter, where you only get so much time to talk about something. And so this was about fitness and health and that sort of thing. And I wanted to kind of get at the point that I just talked about, about looking at your body, the love affair with your body that you should have, how thankful you should be for any part of your body that works since we're so mindless about how all it is. And so I thought, I created these postcards to get people to come to my session and it had a picture of my stomach on it. And I said, I'm going to show, I'm taking my clothes off in the session. Oh my gosh, and so I had I a full it. session and I wore a running bra and a pair of like Nike pros, kind of like that kind of bottoms. And I had this really nice black house, white market dress. And so I started talking about loving yourself and how you look at yourself and how I could make it all about my stomach or I could make it about 
everything else. And then at one point I had the sound guy unzip me and I was there showing that part. Cause you know, the dress covers up that part right. and everyone fills in the blanks as you must just be like perfect instead of, okay, here's this. And it was funny because there was another speaker. I was talking about him ahead of time. He goes, Oh, don't do that. Don't show everyone that. He was kind of just feeling like uncomfortable, yeah. but I had everyone get up and cheer for their crappy body part. I'm like, who's got two skinny legs or a big head or <laughs> a big ass? Like, what is that? Like, here we go. And everyone was standing up and cheering and it was like this cathartic moment. And that was a turning point for me as well, because I thought, yeah, like, why do I worry about that? Like, right. seriously, why am I thinking about that? And the more flipping tires and climbing things and being in action the less I think about my body as this objectified thing. Because that's a cultural appropriation. Like I did not, I wouldn't have thought about myself if my culture didn't tell me to. Right. So, you know, it's good. Although there are days when I think, why can't that part be good too? Like, you know, I look (laughs) at those creams, you know, like the before and after cream. (laughs) Maybe I should try it. And then I think about how far my stomach was distended with two children. Yeah in there at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, forget it. That's just never. And I think that speaks to the depth of the social construct that even those of us who 100% understand, like can separate body image and social norms and social constructs and all that kind of what the media tells us versus what is true and all this stuff. So being in the fitness industry, like I know the truth about all of that. I know how insignificant, you know, getting a six pack is. Right. We all, as women, I think we still have those moments of doubt. So we can present one way, but mm-hmm. there's just these moments here and there where we're like, yeah, I talk a big game, but like, I still wish I could fix that a little bit. And maybe it's only right. like one day every two months that you think of it, but mm-hmm. it is still there. I mean, I think that that speaks to the depth of the cultural phenomenon and, and yeah. how, how horrifying it is. Because if I think this is someone who really has studied it and worked within it, for 14 years, then it's very easy to see how someone who has not been in it professionally and doesn't have those, you know, have a lot of education around body image, I can understand how it can be 100% consuming in one's life. Because Absolutely, absolutely. And women in general tend to think about the one thing that went wrong. Yes. I mean, if you could throw a party and someone says one thing and suddenly the whole party isn't worth anything. Like that's right. just the way we are. And yeah. so all the more reason to live it out. Like I really feel passionate. You know, someone was asking me like, you're posting all your workouts all the time and whatever. And I go, I'm only doing it like out of community. Like I want you to see me sweaty and muscles moving because I want you to know when you're ready, you're in good company. We're all just doing this together. And I want to be that. And when I'm 50 or 60 and I want my kids to think it's normal. So I have to do it like it's normal. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So they'll say to me, like yesterday, I went to a track meet that last, you know, anyone who's been to a track meet, it lasts forever. So she was a high jumper. That meant she was, I had to be there at 315. She ran the four by four. That meant I had to be there at nine. Like it's the beginning and the end. And so there was a gap and I brought my stuff and it was two hours away and I ran and I told her I'm going to run and I'll be right back. And I came back and I'm like sweaty and just walking around like the athletes, right? Right, All the parents had jeans and sweatshirts on and and I'm like, cause I don't, how else do you do it? Right. I want her to know, yeah, you're doing your track meet and I don't have a track meet, but this is what life is. You don't have to have a track meet to work out. You can just work out because it's a function of being a human. Totally. You just have to do it. Years ago, there was a college track and I would go down and run. And sometimes the college team would come out and start running. And I was always like, am I allowed to be out here at the same time as them? Like, this is so awkward. And I mean, I would be in the middle of doing what I called sprints, but with for the little bit of warm up. And I kind of like, I would make myself stay. I'd be like, no, until they tell you, you need to leave, you're going to stay because this is incredibly uncomfortable. But also like, I'm not going to let myself leave out of fear or leave because I feel less than. And I always hated it when they came out because I was like, oh, now I have to do that thing where I make myself stay until they kick me off. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think it helps. I it always does. run faster when other people are around. Like, oh my gosh. I, totally. It's like my own reality show in my head and people are watching. So yeah, totally. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about an article that you wrote that really touched me and I thought was so insightful. And I wanted you to share a little bit about it. So you wrote an article recently, it was for the Huffington Post, I believe, about what you want people to know about being racist ready. So this is a big change in gears from what we've been talking about so far, but it's a really important conversation. And I think that you presented it so beautifully. So can you tell us a little bit about the article and kind of the story that inspired the article? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you can't tell from listening to me because I'm American. I grew up in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, in Minnesota. And in the 70s and 80s, I'm 46 years old. So the majority of my years that I grew up, I was with people that were blonde, blue eyed, you know, maybe some brown haired Germans, Scandinavians, Norwegians, like there were no Indians. Actually, in 1975, there are only 175,000 Indians in the United States. So people just didn't know anything about that culture. And, you know, to be honest, when you're looking at someone who's not white, 
it's hard to tell what people are. And honestly, when you look at white people, you know, you can't really tell what hybrid of genetics there is. And so there were lots of interesting things that happened. And, you know, with the recent shift in politics, there's lots of discussions about racism and cultural intolerance. And so I don't often talk about it because I actually have not experienced a great deal of racism. I'm privileged in many ways. And so I feel like it's not my story in that sense. But I was thinking about diversity training and thinking about why it's gone wrong. Because all we did was teach people not how to shift the way they view people, but what not to say. That's what diversity training is. Here's what you don't do and here's what you don't say. And how much that's harmed us because now that we have a new president, it's easy to see that the real thought process has never changed. And people just changed the way they talked about it and they changed where they acted on it. And so I thought about this racist ready concept is the idea that if you don't know basic things about other people, then you are prone to racism. You might not be racist, but it's easy for you to be misled because you think that people who look different than you are different than you. When in reality, the gestational period for human beings all over the world is nine months. So how different could we really be? Like, how could it be that something as superficial as our skin color is the thing that we use to differentiate ourselves when really it's our experience as human beings? And that if people knew, like the story, the big story was I was at Target. I love Target. And I'm shopping there and I'm having fun and I'm ready to check out. And this person asks me a question and says, you know, where are you from? And I just said, I'm Indian. Like, I knew that's what they were asking, not where are you from Minnesota? And I'm like, you know, so I say I'm Indian. And then she says, are you sure? Because you're pretty dark for an Indian. And I was like, am I sure? Like I'm 45 (laughs) years old. Are you rocking my world right now and telling me I'm not Indian? Because, and it was so shocking. And that was the seed of it that, What if people like really knew about skin color, that brown people are lots of different shades or that the southern part of India, there are more dark skinned people Mm -hmm. than the northern part of India and that my skin gets darker in the sun and that just dumb things that I think everyone should know because I know so much about the majority because that's what being a minority is. So racist ready is about the ignorance that of all their cultures. And it doesn't have to just be about people who we call black or brown. It can be about the difference between a Korean person and a Japanese person and a Chinese person. Like, I don't know. I had to just say, okay, can I learn more about other cultures so that I don't make assumptions that are not really and associations that are really not about skin color. So I was a little bit nervous to write it because my brand is inspiration. I try to get that information to people later in the process, not right away. Right. I try to teach about my culture and be open and loving and really stick to the humans or humans. And I can see skin color. It's really okay that we're different colors, but that just doesn't mean everything to me. Right. It just means that that's just the cards you were dealt. And there were, you know, when you do a Huffington Post blog or any kind of blog at that level, if you write about anything controversial, there were people trolling and you know, debating. But overall, you know, what I love to see is people go, Oh, could that be possible? Could I learn more about people who are from Mexico? Would that help me understand why people act the way they do? What can I learn about African American culture instead of going up and touching someone's hair? Maybe Google it. (laughs) Just (laughs) Learn about their hair. It's just hair. 
that just happens to be a different texture than yours. Like, what is that such a big deal? Right. So when we went to Vietnam, people wanted to touch my freckles and they would just like casually like walk really close to me and then just like rub my arm really gently (laughs) and then keep walking. (laughs) Yeah. And I also, I had gotten a mole removed (laughs) because freckly people tend to have moles. So I had just gotten this mole removed. So I had like this big scab on my arm and then my arms (laughs) were like all freckled. And so I just felt like they were like, what is wrong with her? Is it a disease? Is it a skin thing? Like, but a number of people would just come up and like super covertly without making any eye contact, just like gently caress my arm or my shoulder. So funny. Because like that, it's so, yeah, they really think it's curious to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't care. I was like, sure, here, touch me, whatever. Right. The difference is the difference between a lot of cultures and ours is that we don't have a home base. Like there's no one main kind of person. So if you go to India, you know, there is like a common type of person, right? And they're Indian. And if you go to China, I mean, there's a certain like a Chinese person, even a place that has a lot of different people like New Zealand or France, you know, like Paris, usually it's centralized around certain cities. Mm -hmm. And there's still French people. So But in America, there is no sense of order that way. And so it seems like it would be really smart if when kids were young, we had formalized education about things that are genetic. If we just taught kids about freckles and red hair and, you know, why a mom might have blonde hair, but their kid has dark hair and what all these things mean, I think that it would really help because they would just know, oh, that's just part of biology. It doesn't mean everything. And then we can have conversations about cultural experience because that is where the common thread is, where you talk to an African-American person and you find out what their experience is, you will be able to, you don't have to feel guilty, none of that, but you can understand, like, can you admit to yourself that maybe you've been taught to be afraid of a black man because in law and order, the black guy is always committing a crime or you hear about it in the news. And so your natural cultural reaction is to be afraid if you're in the dark with someone who's dressed like hip hop. And if you're in Seattle and there's very few black, we have a fair share of minorities in Seattle, Yeah, but they're not young black men. And so, yeah, like if your only association is what you see on Law and Order, then yes, like you have a lot of social constructs in your head that can be just, that can create fear and intimidation. Yeah. And as a mother, I really feel like, because moms are the cultural teachers, like generally speaking, we're the ones that decide what the play dates are. We really influence where people go to school. And you don't have to say, I'm going to go put my white kid in a diverse population. You don't actually have to do that. You can just teach them, have friends naturally that are from different places. Take, if you can, not everyone can, but if you can travel so that they get to see different people. And if you educate yourself, then they will be educated. So my kids really, it's interesting. My boys went to college and got a little bit more sensitive about race because that's a dialogue that's happening in college. And I had to remind them, you've not really had that many experiences where white people were mean to you. I just want you to know (laughs) because you're very good looking and sweet. And because that's the world that we created for you. We really worked on not making you feel afraid. But on the other hand, I mean, I think that for men, probably being a black man is the worst as far as the experience that they have. But then there was just something where in Kansas, an Indian man was killed and the guy said, go back to your 
where you're from. And I look at my children, I think they look a little Mexican because their dad's white and they look a little Indian. They look a little Middle Eastern. And I've told them, don't go to a bar late at night. Like, just don't do it because let's add racism and some nasty political rhetoric to Mm -hmm. alcohol and who knows what will happen. So that's the world we live in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, the parents are the cultural teachers. Yeah, they really are. So thank you for sharing that because I know that story was really meaningful to me and I really enjoyed how you presented it. And I want to make sure that we'll link to that. So for those of you listening, we will have links to the 100 Day Journey, Liz's book, and we'll also have links to the Huffington Post article all over at shamelessmom.com if you click on episode 112. So Liz, do we have a minute to go through the Shameless Mommy Minute before we go? Yes, I would love that. Okay. Absolutely. So before we do, I have one more question for you. And I also want to just acknowledge you and say thank you so much for spending time today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really appreciate everything that you're doing as a woman and as a mother. Everything that you shared today just speaks so many volumes to the great things you're putting out into the world and the way you're really impacting other women through the work that you do, the way that you touch other people and the way that you're raising your kids to do the same. I really, really love that. So before my last question, give us just a quick synopsis of how you work with people if anyone wants to work with you, because I know that I've done work with you and it was so fun and so amazing. So I want other people to know how they can work with you if they want to do that. Yeah, thanks for asking that. So I speak, there's opportunities for that. And then I do life and business coaching. And you can go to lizneed.com, L-I-Z-N-E-A-D.com to find those opportunities. And the thing that I'm really passionate about is, you know, I just want to have the journey with you. That's really where the focus is. I'm not very expensive. There's always investments, but I'm not very expensive. There's an opportunity for everyone. And my big question is, what do you want? Because I want to help you get it. If in the deepest part of who you are, there's a vision to serve our community in any way, or if there's a place you want to travel to, if there's just things that you want, I want to be a person you can speak to. And I want to be a person who can say, that's yours. You saw it. It's yours. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. There's group coaching and I have several books. There's one-on-one coaching and speaking, but it's really all about me supporting you in your vision. Because I think if you think it, nothing's impossible. And you keep things very simplistic, which I love. When we work together, you help me put together a talk and you broke it down into like, okay, and now I need three things about this and three things about this. It was basically like, just you helped me like dial in these little lists where I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. And I got that. And this is good. And all of a sudden, we had like this big project done. I was like, I feel like we just made a few lists and it was done. (laughs) So absolutely. The way you break it down is so helpful. And it really took like something that was a really big concept in my mind and made it seem very tangible and very manageable. So interested in working with Liz, definitely reach out to her and I'll have all that info in the show notes again. Okay. So final question before our lightning round, describe the legacy you're building and how does being shameless play into your legacy? You know, I really believe, I love the concept of being shameless because it doesn't mean that you do anything you want any way you want it. What it means is that you listen to your purpose, that blueprint that you were born with and no one can take away from you, and you shamelessly live out your purpose. And I believe that that's what I'm doing, is that I'm not worrying about, you know, I'm trying not to be concerned about what everyone else is doing and really asking myself every day, like, what does your life need from you today? What do you need to do? Knowing that every time I do that, that I'm making my community better, which includes my children and my husband and my friends and partners and all things. And that that is in a way I feel like 
we're all mothering each other and that we're never going to be done. And that when I'm around somebody who is shameless and who is just pursuing their divine purpose for why they are here, it feels good and it provokes me to do better. And so that is really my legacy is I just want, even if it's just one little thing where maybe someone was going to break up their marriage and it wasn't meant to be, and they stick with it for a little longer and then their family stays together or someone has the strength to leave or, you know, they decide to pick up a five pound dumbbell because, and then, you know, who knows how many days that adds on to their life or they give themselves a break as a mother because we're all just crazy raising little crazy people. Like that's all (laughs) it is. Then that's worth it to me. So some of it I get paid for, but most of it I'm getting paid in just happiness because I really feel good about what I'm doing. I love that. All right. So shameless mommy minute. Okay. What is your favorite way to treat yourself? Gosh, you know, it used to be massage and I'm going to sound like a nut, but I really do like to exercise Nice, all the time. I mean, I'm maybe 60 to 90 minutes at the most, but I like that. And nails. I like to get my nails done. Nice. Current book you're reading or the last one you read? So I'm into The Gifts of Her Imperfection, which is way late to the party, and I've been reading it for a while, but Brene Brown is just my hero. I love the way she communicates about how we see ourselves and, you know, just giving ourselves a break. So that's my favorite. I love her. And I will link that book in the show notes as well. What is one morning ritual you can't live without? I just love breakfast. (laughs) Do you have a favorite breakfast? Well, you know, I usually eat because I work from home and my everybody's gone in the morning and I usually eat dinner for breakfast. Oh, like today I had a loaded baked potato with broccoli and cheese and ham. And and it's I would prefer that over like eggs and whatever, because I feel like I burn it off too fast. And so and I make those dinners knowing that will be my breakfast. And so dinner's always really good. (laughs) I love it. Who's your biggest inspiration? My dad is my biggest inspiration. He came to this country when he was 14. He had no, or not when he was 14, when he was in his 30s, but he wanted to come here when he was 14. And he made his way. He's a millionaire. He's happily married in his 40s. And then the other thing I'll say is my children. Because if it wasn't for them, like they're my ultimate audience. Like my reality show is on and my kids are watching it. And I really feel like it (laughs) inspires me to like, really, I have to figure it out. Like I can't go crazy and go down into the depths of whatever anxiety because they're watching me and they're learning how to be an adult when they're watching me. I love that. And that's so true. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? It would be so cool if you could turn thoughts off. Oh my gosh. Yes. If you could just flip the switch, like I always tell people when I'm coaching them, is it serving you? Like, is what you're doing or thinking serving you? Right. Or is it working against you? And if it's not serving you, why continue? Like, is there a way for you to stop it? And it would be so cool if there was a switch, like an actual light switch or even a dimmer, and you could just turn it down so you could keep going and doing what you're doing. You'd be like, I'm done with you now. Click. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That would be so cool. But then maybe we'd be all step dirty. Like I think part of what makes us amazing is that we have that texture in our life. Yeah. And it makes it really all the sweeter now for me to talk to you because I had all that craziness where I like had to go to the mailbox every day to get (laughs) now I could go paperless and it would be so much easier. (laughs) Now is really the time to start racking up those bills. (laughs) Now that you can do it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, for thank you. This. It was so great to hear about you as well. Oh my gosh. I so appreciate it, Liz. 
Thank you so much for spending time with Liz and I in the Shameless Mom Academy today. Remember that any links mentioned in this episode will be over at shamelessmom.com if you click on episode 112. So you'll be able to connect with Liz there and then you can also find links to any of the resources that she mentioned. If this is your first time listening, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, that will drop you into iTunes where there's a little button where you can click subscribe and then you'll have immediate access to all episodes as soon as they are released. While you're there, If you'd like to leave a review, you can click on the little button that says write a review and you can leave a review and let me know what you thought of this show. Give Liz and I some feedback. We would always appreciate that. And lastly, I would love to connect with you on social media. So you can find me over at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook and on Instagram, where you get to connect with me a little bit in between episodes of the Shameless Mom Academy. So I look forward to connecting with you there. As you move on through your day today, please remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.